My guest today is Pastor Dwight McKissick. Pastor McKissick, thank you for joining me. Where would you like to start? Tabiti Ayabwili has stated yesterday that the critics of critical race theory keep grounding critical race theory in critical theory and European scholarship particularly mm-hmm. and more Marxian European scholarship, whereas those who develop critical race theory, Derek Bell and whoever else after him, I don't know if, how you pronounce the name, the De- Delegato? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've always said Delgado, but I, I don't, I've not heard the name. Delgado. So they base more, uh, that their roots go back more to Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, and Phyllis Wheatley, Sojourner Truth. They are not as rooted in European thought or scholarship or Marxist thought as they are in the, some of the better known names in the struggle for human rights, civil rights out of the black structure. But when I read and hear talk to my white friends who are anti-critical race theory, they just sort of want to dismiss it as solely being a product or a spinoff of the European Marxian thought. And therefore, its, it's root is poison or toxic. Therefore, any anything that sprang from it would have to have elements of poison or toxin. Of course, they don't apply that to even the, the roots of the Southern Baptist Convention. As Joel Gregory said, Kittle's dictionary, uh, Kittle would not have been an evangelical per se. Uh, there are a lot of things they do embrace. There's diversity. I tend to be old-fashioned, believing seven-day, a six-day creation, seven-day God rested. But I had an Old Testament professor just recently who believed Genesis 2-4 allowed the way the Hebrew word for day would allow for hundreds or thousands of years. He was not a literal seven-day creation. My point is, they will allow for diversity of thought, a nuance in other areas. But on this issue of critical race theory, for some reason, they want to take the sledgehammer approach rather than the scaffold approach. And that's brought me to the break of probably within the next seven days, I'm going to the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, who's also on record as rejecting critical race theory in its totality. And that's most of our point. We, we recognize what, what the Bible says is supreme. But to say that there are not beneficial aspects or it cannot be used as a tool, we find that intellectually dishonest and somewhat of a an insult to uh, those names I've already called that have helped to move the ball forward in civil rights and human rights. And so I, I just, I'm no longer comfortable being aligned with a group that would be dishonest about this subject, number one, and then sort of put a muffle on uh, the voices of white people they call woke like yourself and black people who uh, will just speak what is spoken every week in a black church. Now they have to think about whether or not this will meet a white person's approval because the final judges in whether or not your statements uh, violate the critical race policy. In every case, instance, it's going to be a white man. I find that unsettling. And therefore, I've just made a strong conviction. I can't bake, debate this to Jesus come. I'm going to have to make a statement, vote with my feet uh, next week. And then, uh, and I'm awaiting what happens in June because 
the right now the official position of, of the Southern Baptist Convention, I totally agree with, I affirm. You had three or four PhDs who studied critical race theory. The most knowledgeable man in the Southern Baptist Convention on critical race theory would be a guy named Curtis Woods, who has a PhD. I, I want to say he did it, his dissertation on Phyllis Wheatley, uh, critical black thought, and no way he says this is connected to, you know, that kind of communistic uh, Marxist back background in a way that would be disqualifying or in the way Manley, Basil Manley wrote the Abstracts of Principles at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville lived by, uh, but he believed that Ham was cursed, Black people descended from Ham, therefore all Black people were cursed. Now, so it has a poison toxic root, but they, Al Mola forces all of his professors, including the Black one, to sign a document developed by a white supremacist because he's able to nuance in that instance. He will not nuance on the issue of Christian race theory. I find that hypocritical, disingenuous, and I, I can't take it. So if come June, they overturn the resolution, rescind resolution nine or adopt a new statement that, that in effect takes away the, the truth or the balance of resolution nine, as my friend Charlie Day said, he quotes Harry Tubman, we out. And so I, I'm, I'm going to wait to June to make that final uh, determination. And I'll be quiet after this. A lot of folks don't realize uh, in the, what, late 70s, maybe 7, 8 or so, Southern Baptist Convention adopted a policy about abortion that they affirmed it or left it up to a woman's conscience. They, they did not have a heart line that they have today against abortion. And a few years later, they changed it. But, but hardly nobody remembers that. In, in people's mind, Southern Baptists are just absolutely 100% unequivocally against the boy, always has been. And W.A. Criswell is on the record saying that life didn't begin at conception and that that was a, a Catholic notion. Not only him, yeah. uh, W.O. Vaught, who was Bill Clinton's pastor for years in Arkansas, Bill Clinton used to sing in the choir right behind W.O. Vaught. They, they positioned a governor behind the pastor in the choir stand, which made sense. What a what great way to advertise and promote your church. But uh, W.O. Vaught did not hold that position, and it came up when Bill Clinton ran for president. And, of course, Bill, Bill Clinton consulted him, and he attributed W.O. Vaught, which he agreed, that basically life didn't begin at conception. So they tend to nuance when they want to, but on this matter of race, totally alienating the vast majority of black churches. Just from anecdotal evidence and conversation, I feel pretty confident 100 African-American churches are largely to leave if things don't change in June, and it could be a lot more. Oh, they will quietly disengage, which many, many are doing already. Well, that's the podcast. I mean, that's it. You, <laughs> you touched on everything I want to talk about. Back to your original question about sort of the purportedly Marxist roots of critical race theory. One thing is it clear to me, and I guess there are two facets to it. There's two moves here. The first is they're really eager to connect critical race theory to Marxism as much as they possibly can. Because, if, because they, I mean, this is an old trick, right? Anything that's yes. Marxist is, is, you know, you can't. The slam dunk, slam dunk, conversation over, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
that's a typical move. The, the connection between uh, critical theory per se and critical race theory are, well, I'll put it this way. You could embrace quite a lot of critical race theory and never have read critical theory like Horkheimer and Adorno who were sort of neo-Marxists and there are different elements to Marxism, right? There's Marx's uh, sort of historical analysis, which is okay. not, not really terribly controversial, right? And then there's, he's like, and so what we should do about it is we should like overthrow the government at, you know, the crazy stuff, right? Yeah. Well, well, the, the bit that the critical theorists inherited is the historical analysis, the method of analysis. Okay, in any case, that's move one is they're gonna, they're gonna make whatever connection they can to Marx, however tenuous. And then they're going to say it's Marxist, so we're done with it, right? And then the second move, which is I think this is this is actually what got me involved in the conversation. The second move, because I'm I'm a philosopher trained in the analytic tradition, my work okay. does not draw on critical race theory. Uh, I have interest in critical theory proper, but my interest is justice, right? And philosophers' interest in justice goes back to Plato and before, right? It's a it's a major theme, yeah. Yes. But what I noticed is the second move is they there's this effort to subsume all conversations about institutions and systems vis-a-vis -vis justice under the heading of critical race theory which they've already dismissed as marxist so so the, the line of thought is this critical theory is marxist we can't have that and then anyone who talks about systemic or institutional justice vis-a-vis -vis race is a critical race theorist i.e marxist so conversation over and I, I and I I think that 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 the it was so transparent what they were doing. Your thoughts on that? I, well, my thoughts are the resolution committee of the SBC tends to always have the best and brightest minds because they deal with resolution that requires below the surface knowledge of whatever topic you're asking the convention to vote on. So I appreciate them always getting, uh, and, and it's balanced with people who are just pastors that may not have advanced degrees or uh, ladies who may be, uh, uh, some of them will may be professors with PhDs, others would be just the average run-of-the-mill Southern Baptist lay woman or layman. But the, the majority of the committee is usually, I'm impressed with who they are. And it was no difference in 2019, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Keith Whitfield, provost at uh, Southeastern Seminaries on that committee. Jared Wellman, PhD, professor in apologetics at Southwestern Seminaries on that committee. One or two other people with advanced degrees in related subjects. All of them were much more versed in critical race theory and or critical theory than the average pew sitter. So when they arrive at a position that it can be used as an analytical tool to identify embedded racism and root it out. And we don't embrace it as a whole, some tenets of it we might reject, such as if it is true, and it very well may be, that critical race theory maintains that only white people are racist. I would disagree with that. and. The reason I would disagree with it, theologically, biblically, I see racism as a sin, often as a sin. And there is no sin that only white people can commit, including the sin of racism, to the extent that black people have systems and powers, no matter how small and 
they may be, but if a black man owns a professional team or a corporation of 500 people or pastor, church, you, you name how, to the, to the degree black people have power, we can exercise racism in the same way white people can exercise racism. So yes, I would agree. We, we wouldn't want to adopt uh, a view that says everything about critical race theory is, is absolutely truth in fact, compatible with the Bible, Baptist, Baptist faith and message, because that would be untrue. Uh, uh, black people so, can be and are racist. All right, you, you need to interject something. So, so I want to I want to dwell on something you just in, in what you just uh, laid out. So you said a black person might own a corporation with like 500 people or pastors yes. or whatever, and you the way you framed that, it seems like what you're saying is that having some kind of power or authority or control is a necessary condition to being racist. And I think that there's, I think the reason I want to camp out on this is because I think that there's a lot of confusion about exactly what's being claimed about the relationship between racism and institutional control. I think there are different senses of the word racism that people are operating with, right? Yes. Could you say a bit more about that? At its base level, racism to me becomes a rejection or a judgment about another person or persons, a people group, primarily based on on races, physical attributes, complexion, hair, uh, texture, nose, lips, those sorts of things that we tend to group people based on physicality, heritage, parentage, what have you. So an individual can can be racist, but people like to do things wrong and people like to do things wrong together. And when people come <laughs> together, I love that. people come together to do wrong, that becomes a system. And that system could be with a, a, a farmer's cooperative with 10 black people uh, can choose to be uh, as racist as uh, General Motors or Exxon, who admitted their racism some 20 or so years ago as it relates to hiring at the optimum levels of the corporation. So, yeah, there, there is a can be a power systemic structural component to racism. There also can be just an indiv- individual. I've, I've heard Black people say, I don't like white folk. You say, why? They are A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Well, I think it's okay to not like the white man that raped your mama or took your job based on racial reasons or uh, the judge that sentenced you to five years of prison for a particular crime, uh, your first crime, but it sent us the white kid to probation for the exact same crime. I can see you not liking that particular white man who did that uh, uh, here in my city. Uh, it's been about 20 years or so ago, but a Canadian woke up one morning, drank a few beers, six o'clock in the morning. I don't know who does that. And then he decided, I want to go shoot the first black man I see. He see a black man about seven o'clock in his front yard, under his hood, working on his car, shoots and kills him. The police found him, arrested him. He was charged with murder of some sort. They found him guilty of murder, but his sentence was probation, literally Mm. probation for just 
randomly waking up, drinking a few beers, and decide he would kill the first black man he saw. Now that was individual. That was individual racism. All of this in the court record. I mean, none of this is. He admitted to it. That's exactly what ha- the story is. That simple. He's granted probation. Now you let me wake up in the morning, drink two beers, and decide. You know what? I'm gonna jump in my truck or car, and the first white man I see out in his front yard, I'm just gonna kill him. I will not get off with probation. So there's a system in place that allows that in America, and. The SBC, because they won't nuance this position, are appearing to agree with the system that will allow what I just described to take place. And we can go through all kinds of stories that all Black folk got, not just yesterday, but today, that would involve institutional systemic racism. But that does not preclude that one-on-one individual racism. So I don't, I don't know if I answered your concerns or not. No, you, you answered my question because if you look around academia in any discipline, you're going to find people who make some controversial claims, some, some pretty exotic claims. And, you know, mm-hmm. there may be a critical, someone who writes under the heading of critical race theory somewhere who said, we'll say actually believes that like all white people hold racist attitudes or some or something along those lines. Yes, there may yes. be someone somewhere who claims that, right? But yes. I, there's no one in the SBC. <laughs> who's, who's exactly who's claiming that right uh, exactly. but there are people in the sbc and elsewhere in evangelicalism who claim correctly i think undeniably that there are ways that in, in contemporary american society there are ways that white people can be racist that simply are not available or, and white men can hold certain exercise certain powers over other people and hold certain attitudes and act on those attitudes yes. uh, in ways that other people just can't. Right? Absolutely. So, so anyone can hold a racist attitude. That's not controversial, right? Anyone can hold a racist attitude. But as far as bringing the criminal legal system to bear on a, on a particular individual in particular ways based on the color of their skin, that's not something that someone who isn't a white person is, can really do in 2020 America. Or in a very, very limited manner. I, I totally agree with you. And, and I sincerely ask this question because I'm a novice and just beginning to read a little bit about critical race theory. I, again, they, they rejected the, the, the men and women who know the most about this the SBC has rejected it. So they, their approach to the subject is more with heat than light. But let me ask you this question. They argue that oppression is just not, oppression and racism is not unique to white people. That's one of the reasons they want to reject racism. I get that. But from what I've read from Derek Bell and others is that they were addressing within the United States, not the world or not the general concept of people of color can't be oppressive or racist. They would say the history in this country, in this country, has the only people who have engaged in systemic oppression or even had the opportunity to do it or the desire to do it, the only people who have practiced racism in the legal system, the educational system, the court system, medicine, on and on and on. 
they didn't do experiments with white people like the in, in Alabama, you know, and injecting syphilis in their blood. Oh no, the only people that kind of racism has been acted against would be people of color. So what they they try to globalize this and say no, it's not just whites that oppression. We see oppression in Africa, black on black. You see oppression all around the globe. We all China. The critical race theorists were were addressing at least that's what I think. Only the racism and oppression in America, how it's embedded in American society. Am I right or am I wrong? I, I, I think you're. I think you're. I think what you're saying is correct. And uh, I would. I think I'd put the point this way. Scholars, particularly uh, legal scholars in the American context, make certain claims, truth claims, that are that they claim to be true contingently. They're, these are just facts about history, um, yes. and I don't think it would be limited to. The United States, although of course there are facets of it that are unique to the United States, uh, mm-hmm. the British Empire, for example, in its colonial policies and 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 perhaps more pervasively in its in its neo-colonial policies, uh, has has done things along similar lines, at least in terms of oppression. Uh, but but the thing to notice is that these these are claims to contingent historical truth, and that what people do, and this it, it's at points like this where it's I, I find it difficult to imagine that people are arguing in good faith because what they do is they say like oh well this guy's making a claim about like sort of a necessary claim about like yeah white people are inherently racist and black people are inherently not racist right no 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 (laughs) it's a it's a claim about contingent historical truth that you know if you wind the clock back a few thousand years and run things out differently so that the facts of history unfold in in a different way it, it might not have been so. You, you're exactly right. <laughs> That's why I'm disappointed that what you're willing to do and capable of doing based on your training and your awareness of critical theory beyond just a 50,000 foot level, you've gotten into the weeds. The people who got into the weeds made a decision and recommendation. I know I sound like a broken record. They see it much like you and I. The people who haven't gotten into the weeds, but may be responding to people weaponizing funding uh, to get this decision to call critical racism Marxist and to to defy the the vote out of messages is not an analytical, academic, intellectual response. It's more of a political response to where where might we lose the most money or influence and that is how this decision is being made. And that's where I find it. It's almost like they're, the, the mere fact six white men have made this decision and are overturning the leadership of a diverse committee led by a black man. It almost proves the very point of critical race theory that at the end of the day, a system of white thought will rule out over anybody else's, any other people's group thought, thought, they are, this is exhibit A of what, as I understand critical race theory is what happened. And therefore I feel like if I remain in a, the Southern Baptist Convention, seeing this in real time, I become an ally or co-conspirator with a, a practice of I think very unintentional racism, there are more power dynamics. I know a lot of these people personally. 
they aren't, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, backwood kind of racist at all. I'm not even saying they're racist. I'm, I'm saying they are racial in that the majority race, but they think will rule the day over what minorities think. They're showing you that by rejecting Curtis Woods and his leadership. And that is painful to watch. It makes the SBC, particularly for professors, a very unhealthy, unsafe place. And it helps me to understand what John O. And listen to what he says. He said, people ask all the time, should I be Southern Baptist? And his response now is, basically, come in at your own risk. It, it, it may be a play, it may work for you, but the waters are dangerous over here. I thought when you, as I'm listening to you speak, actually, I thought I thought of John because he, you, John, John uses a phenomenal illustrations when he talks. Yes, He's a, such a gifted teacher. And, and one thing I've heard him say is, it, it's sort of like he he got on a bus, and other people saw him get on this bus, and by being there and being visible. It's sort of like he's saying, like, "Hey, this is okay. This is an okay place to be, right?" And so the so the reason that he's been as vocal as he has, as he sort of pulled the pulled the wire and said, "Whoa, I got you know, I got to get off." The re- the reason he's been so vocal about it is he just wants to say, "Look, anybody who got on this bus because I because you saw me on here and and you you think it's okay, I just want to I just want to let everybody know I'm getting off the bus." Yes, and yeah. the Bible says, "A child shall lead them." I, that's that's not to say John is a child, but he's young. He's young to the convention. He's much younger man than I am, probably 25 years so years younger. But look at Ralph West. There are many getting off the bus now, and I'm probably going to be next in line. But I think John broke the dam to see. He was innocent enough to look at this with through innocent eyes and go, time out. You all are celebrating white supremacy and treating this as if it's normal. Time out. You're openly endorsing Ronald Donald <laughs> Trump, who called who called African countries SO countries. Time, time, time out. You are passive when it comes to denouncing the the murders of Breonna Taylor and Adriana Jefferson and Ahmad Arbery. But really, you're gonna you're gonna make it you make an issue out of critical race theory when you force professors to have to teach Jonathan Edwards, but they cannot mention he's a slave trader. That's never taught in Southern Baptist seminaries. But if a professor at Southeastern, a a Southern mentions James Cone, they have to make sure it's understand he was a liberal and we don't embrace, we, we have to make sure we pad any assignment about James Cone with casting suspicions on his theology and his faith and who he is. But you can quote George Whitfield and, and Jonathan Edwards all day long and never have to talk about that, um, what, Edwards had a, wrote a sermon on the back of a slave receipt of a 14-year-old girl. Hmm. Horrible and evil. And that's, so John Hoare said, this is the system you're coming into. Just be, be aware. And some of those attitudes still exist, or else you cannot explain 80% of SBC support for a man who was a pretty open racist in my book. That's hard to reconcile. Mm. (laughs) 
I want, I want you, I just want you to talk, man. <laughs> I, don't want you, I sent you these <laughs> questions I want to ask you, but I just, you, I feel like I'm, uh, yeah, I don't want to get in the way of what, what's on your mind. Well, one of your questions had to do with in addressing what's now coming to the forefront and that is a history of abuse of women in SBC. It's strange how God is using you in some ways to hold SBC accountable. And I don't think your background or necessarily is SBC. Well, so I did. I grew used. up. I grew up in the. I, just to clarify, I grew okay. up in the SBC. Oh, that I didn't know. And my and my I, my I, grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was uh, the chairman of the board of trustees at Southeastern uh, during the conservative uh, okay so, so i have deep i have deep roots in the uh in the southern baptist yeah and that, so that might explain some of your interest uh in in what's happening there and there's a newspaper report in houston his name's escaped me at the moment robert downing robert downing he to him had, tomorrow oh wow i'm seeing god raise up people who will hold southern baptist accountable in ways that they will not allow people on the inside and that and oh. that's why that's why I'm doing it because the, because here's the thing here's the thing they weaponize ter- I have friends that are that are Southern Baptists I have friends who work at Southern Baptist seminaries and they weaponize theological concepts like uh, inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture which are which have which are legitimate in theological yes. context but they weaponize those terms and they use them in incoherent ways. Absolutely. Promote this extra biblical agenda. And what they do is they threaten the employment and the yes. professional standing of people who have families and mortgages. Yes. And, and people who can't, they're not, they're not allowed to talk about these things in ways that I am. And so that's, well, yeah. so that, that's, that's why, that's why I'm, that, that, that's, yeah. You're much more articulate and much more knowledgeable of the final details of critical race theory or you can go head to head, shoulder to shoulder with any of them on this subject in ways that many of us cannot. So you are doing the kingdom and Southern Baptist a great service by doing so. Robert Downing is doing the women in Southern Baptist. He pushed the ball ahead better than anybody. Wade Burleson, SBC pastor, Enid Oklahoma, tried his best to get the SBC to do and was rejected. Uh, what Robert Downing through one major news story, well, that story might have been a series, but through several news stories, he has made the SBC acknowledge systemic sin as it relates to the abuse of women like none other. However, it appears to me that the women are a long way from being satisfied with how the SBC has addressed this and what they state publicly sometime and what actually the follow through in uh, redressing these issues, not meeting the the muster. I think the DNA of sexism and racism still runs deep in SBC life. Obviously, measurably less problematic than it was at its inception, but still far short of what God would have. Pace Patterson was recorded in Atlanta Journal Constitution. I think back in the late 90s, they asked him about women in ministry. He said, well, there's a pretty on women. He said, everybody ought to own at least one. That should not be a joke in SBC life. 
just like you would, you would should joke with women in that regard, the way some of them want to use sometimes the term uh, uh, lynching, that is just, that's not a joking matter with, with black people. And when they finally, uh, another journalist, Jonathan Merritt, his dad is a very well-known Southern Baptist preacher who ahead the New Resolution Committee, but when he exposed Paige Patterson's history of sexist statements and combined with, you know, calling a woman into the office with just her alone and uh, basically the clarity going to get her to tell the truth as if she wasn't telling the truth, the assumption that she was guilty. Uh, I was blessed that finally the trustee board held Paige Patterson accountable for his, his years of being abusive and unfair toward women, not physically himself, but just his attitude and theology toward women. For instance, I took a preaching class in Southwestern back in the mid or late 90s from a professor named Raymond Spencer, the first black professor in the history of Southwestern. And Raymond Spencer in his preaching class, everybody had a chance, had an opportunity to preach. He'd grade us. He presented one day a woman to preach. Now, that shocked me because I didn't know where that professor stood. I was not even sure where the, uh, uh, this was before Paige Patterson's time. Ken Hemphill was still the president. Paige Patterson didn't come until about 2004, I believe. So that was a dramatic moment for the professor the woman was in class and he presented her to preach. He said he recognized some of the students in class would find objections to that. I think he gave them the freedom to leave if they thought that violated their conscience or their sense of what scriptures were. And he invited the entire class to report what he was doing to the board of trustees. He welcomed an opportunity to engage them about what the Bible teaches about women in ministry and women preaching. Man, that was probably the second best day I had in all of my years at Southwestern Seminary. Uh, I guess maybe the first one was the day I graduated, which was not that long ago. But the, the second one was watching the, the power dynamic. Here's a black man challenging a system that he know is unfriendly to women preaching and saying, I'm willing to be held accountable for what I'm doing. That was just a powerful moment. Now, Fast forward, Pace Patterson, when he became president, he would not allow women in a preaching course with men. That was a lady named Karen Bullock who preached in chapel prior to that under and one of the best sermons on Romans you'll ever hear. But in part, Ken Hemphill was pressured to resign at Southwestern because he permitted her to address a chapel service. Hmm. And all of this was under conservative. Sherry Clowder a Hebrew professor teaching the Hebrew alphabet. Paige Patterson comes in and get rid of her under the guise that a woman can't teach a man the Hebrew alphabet. Ridiculous. So this system of sexism and this attitude that men are superior, it carries over into how men and male pastors trained in the SBC system relate to women. These folks in this, you know, they call themselves complementarian, yes. but but they've admitted in writing that by complementarianism, they basically mean patriarchy. Yes. They, they've admitted this in writing. So 
the the patriarchists would say that you just said uh, so they would say no 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 it's not not they don't think men are superior they just think that men and women are different i'm more interested in your reaction i i find it a little ridiculous but go well ahead. my reaction, reaction is i fought for sherry Crowder to be restored and to be treated fairly because i believe god judges sin and i believe the sbc continues to flunk the race test and the sexism test. Uh, Jennifer Lyles, a lady I've never met, I've only had some Twitter interaction with her. Mm. They didn't respect her enough to let the executive board address her situation, her claims. Uh, a guy named Mike Stone, it would be horrible for the SBC if he's elected president. He was chairman of the executive committee and he abused her in the sense of how he did not treat her fairly in her case being brought to the Southern Baptist Convention executive board. He did the same thing with how he treated, I asked a few questions like, were any Blacks, did they apply for the president of the executive board, the job running for it has now? Did any make the finals list? Uh, were any interview? He refuses to answer any questions. We're back to critical race theory. There's a white power structure that controls all of this information. So, the whole notion of how you tell men in, in a classroom a woman can't preach when you see biblical examples of this, they will translate that into how they treat a woman in their interpersonal relationships. So in one sense, just as Blacks were used as property or tools in SBC life, most of the people who founded Southern Seminary were opposed to women voting. But I think it was 1920 before a woman could vote, Susan B. after The same held true in the SBC convention. Women literally could not cast a vote. The implication is something about, and of course, black people could belong, let alone cast a vote, which says something about you is wrong. Something about you is substandard. That, that's the message when you can't cast a vote or you cannot belong with us. If Southern Baptists would ever slay those giants of sexism and racism, that still runs rampant among them and in the system. One reason I've held on, I believe God wants to do a, a new thing. According to Isaiah 43, I believe God wants to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. God wants to send a revival. The SBC, in terms of by and large having sound doctrine, uh, by and large, probably, at least on paper, they are maybe one of the most integrated denominations on the planet. And they like to brag about that. They like to talk about all this great minority growth. We got our white churches. We have less of those with going minority, but you never see that in leadership. That's the hypocrisy of that statement. They've been saying that for 20 years or more, how great a growth they're having among minority churches, but you never see that reflected. And they raise, they raise money in Lottie Moon's name. Yes. And Presumably was doing something that they would say she shouldn't have been doing. I, I'm glad you brought that up. She admitted she preached over there. And, and since then, I got reports, Southern Baptist women will preach to men on the foreign mission field. They will not let them preach to men, by and large, here in America. So even that, the message is, here's where racism and sexism come together. It's okay for a woman to preach to people of color on a mission field, but a woman can't preach here in America. That's, that's what we're dealing with. And I think that's why God keeps allowing these some call it a kerfuffle, but all of these problems to exist. You know, a few years ago, the preaching professors at Southwestern, are you aware, 
They dressed in bandanas and guns, and guess they dressed like gangster rappers. Uh, you were not aware of this? I may have seen that. Was there a photo that was circulated? Yeah, the photo circulated. I didn't now, know they the were context. celebrating a younger professor who was a, a Christian rapper, and he was getting ready to go past the church in Oklahoma. They were celebrating him, but they decided to take a picture and circulate it to say to the urban community, hey, come study preaching on us because we're hip and cool, and we, we get it. So really, you, you were trying to attract oh, black wow. students? I thought this was like some kind of frat kid thing they were doing, and then the picture got explained. They circulated the picture themselves. Yes, they posted it in the name of, oh my goodness. With, with the school of preaching in the background saying, come study preaching under us because we know how to address your need. And they offended and insulted us by doing so. It, it told us what they really thought of black people at the black church, that we're tra all those behaviors, guns, literal guns in the picture, bandanas. The, the, we know gangster rap is associated with misogyny, materialism. It's a, you're talking about critical, right? Something that's antithetical to a, a biblical worldview. That picture represented all of that. They found, they favored that. They, they found that okay. But yet you're going to tell me you, you object to critical race theory? That is what we're dealing with. To sort of circle back to where our conversation started, in my view, whether it's intentional or not, and, and I, I find it difficult to believe that it's not the case that at least some of it is intentional. There's this conflation, an illegitimate conflation of all talk about systems and institutions and so on with critical race theory, as though critical race theories are the only people who talk about systemic injustice. They're not, right? Right. So there's this conflation. And, and so then there's this effort to just sweep it all off the table, right? So there's no, everything, everything gets to, we can maintain the status quo. So while their accusation toward people who are sympathetic to critical race theory. And incidentally, that resolution itself, right, which says critical race theory can only be used as an analytical tool, right? Yes. That's what the resolution actually says. So there's like this intentional misreading. So the accusation is, oh, these people that are sympathetic to critical race theory, they're always looking for like underlying motives and it's really about more than critical race. Theory. Right. Uh, actually, it's the people that are opposed, right? They're the ones who make it about more than just critical race theory. They are the Absolutely. ones who are making it about all these conversations about history and uh, justice, they just want to box it all up in this Marx and then put a label on it that says Marx and say, we don't have to talk about it, right? Right. Um, or, or if you talk about race, I'm like Beth Moore says, at certain churches she could say certain things a few years ago and nobody would ask, bring up critical race theory. Now, if you talk about race in a, a, a SBC context, somebody that don't like what you said, it, critical race, they don't even know what it means. But that's just a way to say, okay, we can marginalize you, dismiss you by labeling what you said about race as critical race theory. If, if, if I were a professor at SBC seminary, I would not mention race. I'd be scared to mention race. Mm -hmm. It would be because any white person that complains about what I said, they would have, they got a tool now in place to dismiss me or confine me based on what I've said. Uh, some in the black academic community call this epistemological racism, mm. basically is what that policy does. Mm. It, it puts knowledge in the hands of one group of people to determine whether or not that knowledge is legitimate. Mm. 
That's epistemological racism. Tell me if you think this is an accurate characterization of, of where you are. So you've noticed all this unfolding, right? And you've seen yes. how it's all been all been put in this box and labeled Marxism. And the the message that's being sent and what's going on is basically if you want to address problems around racism, really at, at, at any level, this is not the place for you. you. You're just left to sort of say like, well, what? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what fueled this fire. It was the celebration of MLK 50 uh, led by the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC, this Russell Moore's president out. They had a celebration in Memphis, Tennessee. It was the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's death. He was assassinated April 4th, 1968. This gathering took place in 2018 in Memphis. People like Charlie Date spoke, Eric Mason spoke. Think to be there, I mean, your boiler may have been a speaker. Russell Moore spoke. Some of the most gifted writers, expositors, exegetes, anointed uh, men, people like Trilla. I can remember Trilla's last name, Black woman. She may have spoken. Jack, I mean, they, they had a stellar line of, of preachers and speakers. Obviously, since they were celebrating King, the main topic was race. Excellent. But that angered. What you're seeing now, this fight over critical race theory, basically its roots would go back to that meeting. So to understand the fight, you may need to go back and listen to all of those speakers, what they said, normal, good, practical, factual, truthful stuff. But it offended fringe elements of the SBC, which has now become the Conservative Baptist Network. Matt Chandler spoke, Matt Chandler spoke, and he made a statement something to the effect if he had applications on his desk and uh, two people graded the same. He may give the nod in hiring to a black guy, just a black female. I was interviewed by folk out of that church recently. I'm, I'm in, Matt Chandler gets it. Um, David Platt gets it. Russell Moore gets it. Now, there are a lot of people in the SBC, some names I won't call because they might scar them if I say they get it. But these fringe elements is represented by the Founders Ministry, led by Tom Askell, the Conservative Baptist Network, led by a guy named Brad Jerkovic. And it's those extreme polarizing ends who have historically been enemies because one is strongly right. Calvinist, the other anti-Calvinist. But as, you know, Jesus is, the enemies of Jesus came together to get Jesus. So these people who have been enemies have now joined hearts and hands to root out the people like Russell Moore and to make sure a MLK 50 never happens again, right? They're muzzling the subject of race in SBC life. That's the, the roots of this. And so in the future, my fear is we'll never hear race ever dealt with biblically, honestly, authoritatively, because this policy basically says you cannot do that unless we have to prove of what's said on it. That I find something akin to a plantation and one I no longer choose to live on. Hmm. Yeah, it's like these people who have hated each other, right? The people with, in the conservative Baptist network like hate the Calvinists, right? Exactly. And, 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 and there's just, 
and, yeah, that's and it's like the one thing they come together about is like, yeah, we're we're not going to allow any of these conversations about race, exactly, or, or, or women, and it's like, hmm. Well, it seemed like your deepest commitment was to disliking Calvinists, but now it seems like your even deeper commitment is to uh, not <laughs> yeah, to not do anything about racism or misogyny or serial sexual predators. Absolutely. And for, and for that group, not voting or supporting Trump is almost like a cardinal sin. That group would argue that be, you cannot be a Christian and vote Democratic, which I find the epitome of Christian nationalism and anti-scripture where Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So they equate Christian. John MacArthur uh, straight out said it. Al Mola, on one of his podcasts, talked about orthodox Christianity and conservative Christianity and political conservatism. They, they are congruent. They go together. That's that's a borderline blasphemous statement. Well, uh, he said me. he said in that I, I I read through the transcript of that. that okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe has said it on any number of occasions, but one in particular that stands out to me, where he he says that the the uh, notion of voting for a uh, to be fair to the context he, that um, the notion of voting for a candidate who was uh, pro-choice. Yes, i.e. a Democrat, sort of escapes his moral imagination, and he didn't see how any Christian could do it. And then he goes on to say that for what, how did he put it, historical reasons or something to that effect, most uh, folks in predominantly black churches would be doing this thing that escapes his moral imagination. We read the exact same thing. I I thought that was incredibly just, just wrong for any number of reasons. What gets me, how, how, why would you have a different standard for black churches? That's some level of, uh, certainly inconsistent, that, that your canon, your, your, your measuring stick for right and wrong or ethics for white churches is different for the black church. Well, moral I, I, relativism uh, is what it is. Yes. It's, moral relative, it's, it's wrong for a variety of reasons, but it's, just, it's worth noting because uh, he's one of these folks that often talks about his dedication to transcendent truth, that, that it's moral relativism. And he actually mentioned transcendent truth earlier in that same podcast. So you got CBN and Founders Network who would represent the thinking of Al Mola on that subject. That and that alone ought to be enough for Black people to say, we got a problem. You got people teaching you in charge of you that view you as morally suspect or your Christianity is in question based on how you vote. So they're, they're really resistant to acknowledging that there's a systemic or institutional injustice. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, to the extent well, that they- Well, they acknowledge it in 95 in the slavery statement. Now they are trying to say, we believe in what we said in 95, yet you will not tell us what tool you got. You said you don't like the critical race theory tools to deal with racism, but okay, what is your tool? They don't have one. Well, so yeah, Mueller published this article back in over the summer. Yes. Uh, that basically sort of acknowledged that there's such a thing as systemic injustice and systemic racism. Indeed. But really what we need to do is just focus on individual heart, something to that effect, right? And, I, and so my thought, my reaction was like, oh, okay, well, let, let, let's let sin abound so that grace can abound more, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, well, as if see, like, what's, what's, to, what's the goal? Will it, new, he will nuance when it comes to base of manly, broader voice, 
uh, William Williams, the four racist founders, that they took money from the backs of slaves to fund that school and keep it going. He will protect those guys and their racism, but by the same token, he cannot affirm that just maybe there's some in the legal system, there's some tools can that can snuff out embedded racism. The, the question of why since 1950, blacks have matriculated in Southern Baptist schools, black churches have belonged to the SBC since the early 1950s. Here's some 70 years later, you've never had a black to any prominent position. There's somebody would say Fred Luna, my good friend, wonderful guy and preacher. But being president of the Southern Baptist Convention is more ceremonial than it is authoritative in the sense that you can make binding decisions. You don't, you don't manage a budget. There is no budget. You don't manage personnel. There are no personnel. You can make recommendations. You can't make any decisions. Al Mulliken is the largest influence who's hired at SBTC. The Southern Baptist president hires no one. So, so my, my, my point is, you've ne there's not been one Hispanic or African-American ever entrusted with a decision-making authority in SBC life. Systemic racism, as I understand it, I'm sorry, critical race theory, is designed to say, why is that? And we have tools to help you to understand why that is and to help change it. They say, well, we hate critical race theory, but by the same token, you had five openings the past three years Black people applied to all of those open, and you found reasons to discredit them and not give them any of those jobs. That's systemic racism. And on a deeper level, I think what, what permits someone to say like, well, you know, I don't see how a Christian could do this, but the folks in the black churches are going to do it, you know, for their own reasons, whatever, right? I think part of what allows someone like Al Mohler to say something like that is- And get, and it, get by with it. And get by, right, right, right. And no one calls him on. I, well, I did. I called him on it. But, you know, who cares about me? So when you deny that there are structures in place that bring about disparate outcomes that break down along racial lines, for example, the, the average white family has $134,000 in wealth. The average black family has $11,000 in family wealth. And we can, we can trace these things directly back to uh, policies around housing right so but they would trace it they would say that's individual decision making exactly, why that is. exactly right so so here's the thing if when you see that disparity in outcome and when you see disparities in the criminal legal system when you see disparities in outcomes if you deny that there are any systems or institutions at work there then how do you explain those disparities how do you explain them well see my mother taught school in arkansas in the 50s 60s and 70s, I think she retired in the 70s, maybe. The school district, she taught in the Whitehall School District, named after the city of Whitehall, which Whitehall was named after Hall for white people. It was literally, that's all who lived. But there was a black section in that county called Jefferson, about 10, 15 miles down the road, that was still under the auspices of Whitehall. My point is, she taught for like $212 or so a month with a, an accredited degree, four-year college degree. The white teacher was making 400 and something a month. Same, but the qualifications are the same, pay different solely based on race. Here's my point. So that made it easier for a white teacher to pay for that child's college tuition, pass down more. I mean, 
I'm talking about just the generation before me. So when they reject that all of the, the wealth disparities are solely based on individual decision-making, that is it, 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 it's, it's not true to the facts, even in the SBC. Those top nine jobs make more money than other jobs, but you deny black folk in the SBC those top jobs. They are comfortable giving money to black people, and that's the problem. They really are. They've given me... Uh, my, not me personally, my church, at least $200,000. Now, we've given them back a lot more over the 37 years they've given us, which is why I would have no problem walking away. I, I, I would not walk away with them thinking they've given me more than I've given to them. But but that's what the role they want. They, they, don't, they want you to be a mission project, not a mission partner. They're comfortable giving you scholarships to school. They're, they're comfortable being benevolent to Black people. It keeps them in a superior position. What they're not comfortable with is making you president of Southern International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. Oh, no, that that's not what they, their intent is to help you and give you money is not for you to manage or run nothing. Because I, I think they, they, they look at these disparities in outcomes and they think it's individual decision making. But yes. you can't help but notice the pattern. White right. people have more stuff than black people. And if it's all individual decision-making, and that's really what explains it, then it seems as though white people appear to be making better decisions on, on a regular basis. In other words, like what I'm getting at, right, is if you deny that there's systemic or institutional racism and you notice these disparities, you're going to come up with some kind of explanation for why those disparities exist. And, 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 and if it doesn't involve the system, then, what, then those explanations are likely going to be racist. And now what they're saying is, and we don't, we don't even want to have a conversation. That, that conversation you and I are having now will be labeled CRT and throw That's it out right. the door. That's right. So, so you're going to miseducate a whole generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, but here's the thing. See, here's, what, here's the other thing that blows my mind. There are, of course, this is a generalization. So there, there, are, there are exceptions. There are, one of the things I've liked about being on Twitter, which is an awful place, but I have met older folks who get it. Yeah. Folks in my generation, and there may mm-hmm. be exceptions, you know, I'm sure there are exceptions in my generation as well who, who don't get it. The, the folks in my generation are not having this. We're, we're not. And we're, and we're just going to walk away. And so, and, and these people either are too myopic to see this, or they're too concerned about their own control, their own power, that they just don't care. That they are, they are sowing the seeds of destruction for all of these institutions that they're, you know, devoting their their energies to, uh, that they just won't exist 30 years from now because nobody nobody in my generation is interested in having anything to do with it. I mean, I don't know. There might be a handful out there, but I, yeah, I just, that will that will be a handful. But I totally agree with you. And let me tell you what that was proven even in SBC life. I went to the microphone in Phoenix, Arizona, 2018, after a resolution was rejected I submitted related to the alt-right. I was okay with the resolution committee not bringing my resolution out. I got up to respectfully challenge it. I did. They voted still not to bring it out. And I went to my seat and accepted that because I've known them to reject other people's resolutions on other subjects that I thought should have been brought out. But so again, it seemed like they applied the same rules to me that they applied to other resolutions that have been rejected. So 
I just I wasn't gonna be like Donald Trump, you know, call it rigged and take him to court, you know. I, everybody played by the rules. My relate, so I was okay. But when I went to sit down, white young young whites, to get back to your thing about the younger generation that I didn't know, rushed to me and said, "We listen to what you had to say. We admit, this is wrong." And listen to what they said to me. Let us let us handle this. I said, "Okay." I was I I just thrown in the towel. Thought it was over. It was the young white generation. And some of them came to me with pictures of their adopted black children says, I didn't realize racism was a problem. I saw how the lifeguard at a swimming pool treated my black child, not knowing it was my child, different from the white kids. Hmm. I didn't know racism was a problem until I sent my 16-year-old adopted black son to the grocery store, and he comes back and how police dealt with him in ways they've never dealt with me. On and on and on. In other words, yes, we're supporting you, but this is not just about you. This is about us. And lo and behold, by the time those that young generation of white went to the microphone and told President Steve Gaines, who favored it, and Russell Moore and Danny Ake said, yeah, this generation says we will not leave this place if you cannot denounce alt-right and white supremacy. And that's what happened. They denounced it. But had it been left to the old guard, nothing would have happened. So you're exactly right. There is a generation now who wants to pull out of the SBC because they believe it's so tainted with racism, sexism, the issues we're discussing that, and again, this this CRT fight, I suspect the president's going to win this fight because, the again, the old God is with him, the old money is with him. But I think they're really getting the heart out of the next generation. Mm. And the only blacks will be left are those who who agree with them. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, I don't. I don't even know any that exists, but I'm sure there are. That's all that's going to be left. Yeah, I mean the the old guard, from what I've seen uh, after the events of last week, they seem to be more concerned. This is another thing that they can parse, right? Is Christian nationalism another thing that they, they gets real nuanced? Oh yes, is yes. Christian nationalism, right? And they seem to be far more concerned about the fact that people are just making the observation that the folks uh, involved in trying to overthrow our government seem to be rather comfortable in white evangelical spaces. They're more, they're more concerned about people making that observation than they are with the fact itself that white Christian nationalists are really comfortable in white evangelical spaces. You've noticed that, right? that and there's a reason why they're comfortable there. Exactly. And let's, but like, if, cause if we just did something about that, then we wouldn't have to worry about people making the observation that it's true. Right, right, right. Yeah, they don't seem bothered. I saw one guy saying like, hey, you know, really, we shouldn't call this Christian nationalism. We should call it something else, right? Because it's not really Christian. And my thought was like, that's sort of like you raise a kid in your own home. And then that mm -hmm. kid goes off and, and turns out to be a, a, a violent, delusional insurrectionist. And your first reaction is to say, hey, let's do a DNA test. <laughs> Like you're missing the point, dude. You raised that kid. You raised that kid. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I think I actually know the gentleman who said that. And here is what I I get your point, but here's what I got out of what he said. On the surface, it came like he was deluding the question. Trust me, he was not defending white Christian nationalism at all. The word Christian, he was not willing to concede labeling what we saw in the insurrection as Christian. 
nor was he willing to, cause, yeah, what well, he said, they believe in some form of God. He wasn't taking that away from them. But to call anything about their actions Christians, he said it would be an inappropriate uh, appellation or designation. I, I, that was his major point. Right. Oh, and of course, I agree with that. Yeah. Right? But but there's a reluctance to deal with, I think, the the at least if it, the, the guy I'm thinking of, there's a reluctance to deal with the underlying fact. That, the, that this is how these people self-identify, and they that have not been disabused. That guy would, uh, would agree with the the underlying fact, but I think it's it's a reluctance for Al Mola, the CBN, the founders to. They're upset with me, at least some of them who've kind of. I'm friends with some of these guys. At least we 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 have acquaintances. We talk. They think I'm wrong for saying being at that rally knowing with the foundation the premise being the vote was faulty after six the court said it wasn't faulty including the supreme court that trump has appointed three members so to me you had no business out there you had the rally was protesting something that was demonstrably false but you did have southern baptist pastors i hope they snuff them all out who were there and there were because Southern Baptist pastors there that we that, that this is documented. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and then wow. going underground. And yes, there was Southern, I think only one in Georgia has admitted it. So my thing is, I agree with the guy who said, you can't call that Christian. But it is an example of Christian nationalism. And the mere fact, if, if I go to a rally under the premise that, uh, what, you name it, all... All white folk are racist, which I don't believe that. But if I go knowing that's the premise, it's unlike Christ for me to go in the first place. So to go to a rally that said, this vote was a, a fraud. This The election was stolen. It was called Stop the Steal Rally. There's no Trump's own administration with Homeland Security as Attorney General said the election was stolen. So if, if I still go to participate in a rally like this, there's something wrong with me, something fundamentally wrong with me. Listen, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you. So, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much. And just thank you for standing up for truth and to stand up for truth with with facts and light and hardly never heat. And you're doing a great service to the kingdom and to the Southern Baptist Convention by you being you. And I just want you to know how I've, I wouldn't know you for what for Twitter, but I'm honored that you'd ask me on here, but I have a huge regard and respect for how you have lended your expertise to this subject. And now I see in part, it may have something to do with your Southern Baptist roots. God bless you. I honor you. I love you. And thank you for honoring me with the privilege to having this dialogue. If you ever have me back, I'll be glad to come in any time. Thank you so much. I, I love you too. Thank and you, I, Dr. And I really, really appreciate your time. All right. Thank All right. You.